stand in us today. Give your servant preaching power and preaching permission that preaching may be done. And then God in the end will be mindful to give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise for it truly belongs to you. We love you, Father, for the things we've heard thus far. Illuminate us now. We'll give you honor, glory, and praise. And all God's people said amen and amen. Come on, let's give God some praise for this choir today. I don't know what got into them, but I love it. Amen. Amen, amen. Y'all were singing today. Bless the Lord. Open your Bibles with me, family, to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, verse 27. We pick up from there with our walk through the Bible. Come on, ushers, let them in. Amen. Thank you so much. I'll wait on them. Acts chapter 16. Want to welcome our first-time visitors to the New Beginnings Baptist Church. We are an expository teaching and preaching church. And that means we believe in preaching through the entire book of the Bible, books and chapters at a time. Family? And this morning, our journey, we are preaching through the book of Acts, brings us back to our passage, Acts chapter 16, where we pick off, pick up rather, from where we left off two weeks ago. So we want to welcome you to study the word of God with us. There's no better church in all of Fresno, amen? To study God's word. I'm a little uh, uh, jaded, but I believe I'm right. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Acts chapter 16, verse 27. If you got it, say, I got it, Reverend. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing that the prisoners had all fled, he drew a sword. And was about to kill himself. But Paul. Somebody say but Paul. He called with a loud voice saying. Do yourself no harm. For we are all here. And then he called for a light. And ran in. And he fell down trembling. Before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out saying. Sirs. What must I do to be saved? So they said to him, listen to this, y'all. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and he washed their stripes and immediately somebody say immediately Immediately. he and all his family were baptized now when he brought them into the house he set food before them and he rejoiced having believed in God with all of his household and all God's people said amen Turn to the neighbor next to you. Tell them, neighbor. neighbor. Oh, neighbor. Oh, neighbor. My, pastor My pastor wants to preach about, to preach about salvation, salvation at midnight. At midnight. 
suffering so others may come into the kingdom. Amen. You may be seated. Family, the last time we were journeying together in this text, we were talking about how to deal with trouble in the ministry. Y'all remember that? We said that Paul and Silas at midnight were in prison. And they were there because the devil had interrupted their missionary journey. And he had falsely accused them, imprisoned them, beat them down, threw them in the dungeon, and had placed them fast in the stocks. All because they delivered a girl who was satanically possessed. We discovered that week that at midnight, in the midst of their incarceration and pain, they were praying and singing praises unto God. Y'all remember that? Come on, go with me back down memory lane then. We said that this was a result, the praise and worship was, was a result of the brother spirit that had lived within them. So that no matter that they had been falsely accused and mistreated, instead of complaining at midnight, they were worshiping at midnight. We said that they were soldiers who were in love with Jesus. And as a result of their love relationship with him, they were willing to endure hardships for the sake of the gospel. We learned on that week that uh, it wasn't pleasurable for them to be beat. Or it wasn't glamorous for them to be in prison. It wasn't exciting or fun. But nevertheless, while they were there, they would take this opportunity to worship God. Like the choir said, because he reigns. Well, as a result of their willingness to worship God, the text revealed in verse 26 that he sent them an earthquake. And the earthquake shook the foundation of the prison. And it declared to all who were in prison that God was paying attention to his servants. And he was well aware of their sufferings and their sentence. And we left that message understanding, Tate, that God had a plan even for Paul and Silas's sufferings. And that literally God had set them up. So that they could bring him honor and glory through their trials and tribulations. I'm talking to somebody right there. See, see, today we can again come to the text and understand that because they were willing to live for God, Reverend White, and willing to be ridiculed for God, God would not forget them in the middle of their suffering. And as a benefit for their sufferings, Somebody else will get blessed and receive everlasting life. Can I give you the application? Sometimes, family, your suffering is so that somebody else might get to come into the kingdom. Sometimes your trials in life are to bless somebody else so that they may get to know Jesus. Somebody this morning looking at the bald head preacher, your difficulty this morning you're experiencing may just be that somebody else might get to come into a relationship with God. So tell your neighbor, don't despise your sufferings because all things work together for the good, amen, of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. 
So my question for you this morning is, are you available, family, to suffer for God? Don't say yes too quick. But can God use your trials and tribulation to lead somebody else to him? Can you be counted on today to endure the hardships of the gospel that somebody else might be saved? And if you can, then this text is for you. And if you can't, this text is for you. I got three points I'm going to give to you and then I'm going to be on down the road. Y'all with me? Number one, I'm going to talk about the soldier's surprise. Number two, I'm going to talk about the soldier's salvation. And then number three, I'm going to close with dealing with the soldier's service. His surprise, his salvation, and his service. Y'all going to study with me now? I need you to work. Feel like one of them churches in Alabama in here today, huh? Hot, just the way I like it. That's good, good preaching temperature. Amen. Borrow fan, you be all right. Amen. Amen. Let's look at point number one, the soldier's surprise. In verse 27, the text says this. And the keeper of the prison, awaking, you should circle that word, from sleep and seeing that the prison doors were open, he supposed that all the prisoners had fled or escaped. He then drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul saw him about to kill himself, called out to him with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Can I labor right here, y'all? Now, when we arrive at this verse, we see that the enemy, who at once beat and imprisoned the apostles, is now on display. What do you mean, pastor? It's the warden of the prison. We can learn from his previous behavior, Reverend Brown, that this man wasn't a Christian. What do you mean, pastor? He's not, not only is he not a Christian, but he don't even have empathy for prisoners under his care. This brother was a callous man. He was a cruel man. He was a calculating man. Can I press my claim? This man alone was responsible for beating Paul and Silas. And not only did he beat him, but he took him down into the hole of the prison. And then when he put him down in the hole of the prison, that wasn't enough. He stuck him inside of the stocks. Y'all remember I told you what the stocks were? There was that wooden apparatus where their head went in and their arms went in and their feet went in, right? He beat him. Threw him in the hole and then threw him in the stocks. In other words, this brother was a sinner, a hater, a persecutor. He was anti-Christian and he was taking full advantage of an opportunity that he had to mistreat somebody. He was a cruel warden and he represented the system in a worse way possible. But. He was on the radar of heaven. Isn't that something? Heaven had his eyes on this man. The text says that after he had done all these things, watch this now, the brother was sleeping, Zuniga. Can I spend some time right there? 
Y'all ain't impressed, so I'm going to dump the whole truck, right? This brother was so cruel, he could sleep after misbehaving. Like some of y'all. Now y'all woke, uh uh-huh. He was so cruel, he could sleep with them suffering. And it wasn't no problem for him. He was so cruel, he could sleep with social injustice. And it wasn't no problem for him. He was so cruel, Brother Ed, he could sleep with all of his evil attributes. And it didn't bother him one bit that he had abused these brothers. He was just that cruel that he could keep on sleeping even after he had mistreated somebody. You know anybody like that on your rope? They sin don't bother them. They sleep right through it. Well, I'm glad that the text says what it says because what it does is reveal to us that God had to get this man's attention. Can I say some more? He did so by not only waking him from sleep, but shaking him from sleep. Uh, Okay, thank you, daughter. I'm glad you're in here with me. God sometimes got to shake you in order to wake you. God shook the foundation of his security. He was trusting in his position as a professional warden. A man, a career of corrections. Come on, talk to me. But God had to shake his professional career to get him to see what was much more important. Come on, y'all. God had to shake the very foundation of his world. God shook the foundation of everything he trusted in and was secure in. Why? Because God wanted the jailer's attention. God wanted him to know who he was and what he was capable of doing if he didn't change his ways. So when God shook him, He had Paul and Silas in place to preach to him. Y'all missed it? Can I back it up and say it again? He had the first Sister Hayward put his people in position through suffering. So when that the shaking began, they would be in the proper place for proclamation. See, sometime, Lori, I don't know where you're at, daughter. God's got to shake your professional career so you can be in the place to proclaim to the heathen he's after. Don't be too quick to run from that job that's giving you trouble. Sometimes the trouble is a reason for you to stay right there. Because God's shaking the place. He's got somebody he needs to save. So I'm going to ask you a question again. Are you available to be shook today? I'm going to preach it without you. Y'all better come on. Amen. The faster you say amen, I'll run on to the next point. But if you don't say nothing, I'm going to be labor right there for a minute. Can I share with you the illumination that the Holy Spirit shared with me? Somebody said, go ahead, Pastor. Listen, God didn't send the earthquake to deliver Paul and Silas. He sent the earthquake to use Paul and Silas. God didn't send the earthquake to set them free. They was already free. Can I bag it up? 
The chains didn't stop them from getting their praise on at midnight. It wasn't a matter of fact if they was free or not. Wherever you go, you're free. In fact, I heard who the sun sets free, he's free indeed. Shackles can't hold you down. Are you listening here? If you're refusing to praise him, it's because of something else. It ain't got nothing to do with your freedom. For every man who's in Christ is a new creature. Old things have passed away and what all else has become brand new. So God doesn't send an earthquake take to even speak to Paul and Silas. What do you mean, pastor? He was already speaking to them, confirming his love through persecution. Y'all in here? The fact that he allows you to be persecuted for him is his voice screaming loud saying he's well pleased. Y'all in here? He's speaking loud and clear when he allow them to kick your behind on the job. When he allowed them to talk about you in the family. When he allowed them to persecute you for something. That's his voice loud and clear affirming whose you are. God sends the earthquake to demonstrate his power to the jailer. See the jailer thought, stay with me y'all, I'm still dealing with my illumination. Y'all in here? The jailer thought, Tong, his keys and authority could silence the gospel. That's why he went overboard with their persecution. They were thrown in jail for preaching and setting a girl free. So he's trying to teach them a lesson for preaching. He thought that his commands and his orders could silence God's word. He thought that his prison, Reverend White, could contain God's men. But I stopped by to tell you, no prison can contain the men of God. <laughs> I like that. Just felt good right there. The earthquake was a demonstration of divine power over man's puny ideas of confinement. You can't incarcerate God's man and silence his voice because God will always... Give him a way to speak. I found out, no matter how you try, you can't shut your pastor's mouth. You may get mad and never come back, but you'll be sleeping and you'll hear one of them sermons just come out of nowhere. Am I talking to you? Old preacher said to me, sermons don't die, they multiply. You'll catch that on the way home. I'll stop by to tell you, you can't incarcerate God's man and quench his miracle working ability. God always finds a way to use him. You can't incarcerate God's man because God will cause him to never quit praising God. A praise will break out. In the midst of suffering. And that's what you see in Paul and Silas. I'm not making it up. I'm in the text. When the more you persecuted him, the more powerful he becomes. See, when they chained and beat them, their praise and worship found a way to bless the name of God in spite of their wicked conditions. And this warden thought he did something and went to sleep, but God was going to wake him from that sleep. See, can I, can I say, say some more with you? Uh, Brother McBee, this is what I found out. God chose not to release them, but rather to use them. Yeah. 
Y'all catch that? God chose Brother Tommy not to set him free from jail, but to use them in jail. See why prison ministry is so important? It wasn't God's plan to release them, but to elevate them. God, God can use chains and bonds. God can use cells, cells and stocks, whips and false sentences for his honor and glory. He has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Don't despise your sufferings. Just find out where is your assignment in the suffering. Can I spend a little time to work there? Somebody, you about to break. You about to snap. You through crying. You, you don't know why they mistreating you like this. Hold on, daughter. Your, your, your assignment is about to be made clear. God uses the sufferings of this world that his name may be glorified. Let, can, I go, can I keep going in the text? The Bible says, Crawford, that when he saw what had happened, he drew out his sword, y'all in here, and was about to take his own life. Now, why? Why did he do this? Well, according to historians, if a Roman jailer lost his prisoners, it meant he was going to lose his own life. And depending on the measure of crime which the prisoners had committed, that was supposed to happen to him. So this man evidently had murderers in the joint with him. Because the ultimate sign of killing, you had to have some murderers on, on somewhere in the jail. Does that make sense? So he's going to execute himself. He's going to commit suicide. Not only that, it was shameful for a Roman soldier to lose a prisoner. Now, now, here I see, that's the historical fact and contextual explanation for what's happening. But there's another explanation. Anybody know, want to know what it is? There's a demonic temptation looming in the jail. What do you mean? Satan himself has decided to slip into the mind of the jailer and tell him to kill himself. Somebody called him a murderer, the father of all lies. You can always trace suicide back to the voice of the evil one. Y'all in here? This is a picture of Satan, the murderer at work again. Jesus said he come to steal, what? And destroy. You can attach his name to any murder that takes place in our city. Can I say some more? I think this is the devil because I believe that the devil knew what God might be thinking about. Yeah, perhaps the devil knew that this earthquake from heaven was a sign of something more to come. Y'all listening with me? Look, look, perhaps the devil knew that every time God does something supernatural in the earth, salvation is a direct product of the supernatural activity of the divine one. I, come on, y'all help me in here, y'all. Don't let me have all the fun in here. Come on, y'all. Y'all in here with me? So Satan had to move quickly. In order to snatch this soul before God could get it. Yeah. 
Okay, let me back it up. Maybe somebody missed something. They're in prison. They're weak. They've been beaten. It's midnight. They're singing praise and worship. And then God sends the earthquake. This ain't no normal quake, y'all. This thing is shaking so bad that all the cells come open. The guard wakes up out of his sleep, runs down to the prison and see all the doors open. And he's about to kill himself. Meanwhile, God is at work. He pulls out his sword and before he kills himself, yes, Paul calls out to save him. Did y'all miss something in there? I said, God shook it. And hell felt the tremors. Hell no, this ain't a normal burp or hiccup from the earth. This shake has come from heaven. And that's something about this shake. In fact, if I run my record right, every time God does something supernatural in the earth with a flood, with fire falling from heaven, or something like a quake, he's about to either save somebody or lose somebody. The text says, but Paul. That's why you should circle that right there. It's an abnormal place for this verse to continue. Are you with me here? It's, it's a conjunction. Y'all, y'all know conjunction, junction. What's your function? Working on cars and making them. Y'all remember that? And, but, and, or. will get you pretty far. When you see and, but, or, or at the beginning of a verse, that's a change in direction of the thought of the author. Y'all in here? He said, but Paul. (laughs) He's about to kill himself, but Paul. He cries out, stopping the jailer. Why? That he might not commit suicide and in his unrepentant state go to hell. Y'all woke? The man wasn't a Christian. To die without Jesus is an instant sentence to hell. Can you see why Paul must cry out? Where my Paul's at in here? It's midnight. You're going through it. But don't cry out for your own stuff. Cry out for the one God has set you up to be a witness to. Oh, help me, Holy Ghost. Preach all of this thing today. I want you to know, family, let God use your sufferings this morning so that somebody who's in bondage and being deceived might be set free. Now, 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 this was a surprise to the soldier. Hence, we have the title of our first point is the soldier's surprise. This was a surprise to him. Notice this. This came to me late in the midnight. The soldier thought he had put Paul and Silas on death row. But he was on death row the whole time. And now, the ones he condemned, mistreated, have to intercede before the highest judge in the land to save the one who had mistreated them. Are you with me here? Let me get to point number two, the soldier's salvation. Y'all in here? Y'all sure don't feel like it. Amen. Come on. All right. Verse 29. Y'all got it? Say, I got it, Reverend. The text says that it was then. After he heard Paul and Silas cry out for him, he called for a light 
and he ran in to the dungeon where they were and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Y'all know, can I work right there? The text says that the soldier, as he runs into the dark prison, he can't see what he's running to. He can't see the ones, y'all in here, that he abused. He just know they're there. In order to find out where they are, he's got to call for light. What a picture of the world. They can't even see in the own darkness of their own prisons. The only way the dark world gets to see is that they must call for a light. Y'all mind if I work right here? When God is shaking their world and when Satan is whispering in their ear to commit suicide, what they need is a voice in their crisis to call in and keep them from doing themselves harm. That's the ministry of the church. Look, y'all, we can quit getting mad at people because they decide to be homosexual. Because they decide to come out of the closet and change their sexual orientation. It's dark in their world. They crying and cutting themselves. Trying to hurt themselves. What they need is a clear voice. A voice that says, don't do yourself no harm. Don't change your sex yet. Do yourself no harm. Am I talking to you here? What, 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 what they need is they need, they need those who they have persecuted. Huh? They need those they have talked about. Those they have made stand-up comic jokes about. They need for them to cry out in the darkness. Do yourself no harm. And they need them to be light in the darkness of their own prison. See, a little light in darkness illuminates a whole lot of space. You ever been in a dark, dark place and just lit your lighter and hold it up? That little light will illuminate a vast span of darkness. That's why Jesus uses that analogy for us in the gospel that, that, that a light is like a, a set up on a hill, right? Will, will shine throughout the whole region. Says so stuff like, no man puts a basket over his light. You let it shine. Can I push you new beginnings? I need you to shine this week. In those dark places that the Lord takes you in. Hey, help me, Holy Ghost. I need you to shine this week in those dark relationships that you have and you can't figure out. I need you to shine this week. Wherever the Lord takes you, be a light to illuminate the darkness. Can I say some more? And then be a voice calling out to people who are trying to hurt themselves. Don't, don't, don't be a nagging voice. Be a voice of salvation. 
Don't, don't, don't be a hypocritical voice. Don't be a voice of persecution. Be a voice of compassion and salvation. Do yourself no harm. Now, can I just park the car? This ain't in my nose. Y'all mind? Let me put a quarter in the meter and let the car idle for a minute. Paul could have said, go on and kill yourself. You didn't whoop me. I'm a Roman citizen. You didn't beat me. Threw me fast in the stock. Do yourself. Do you. Do you. But that's not his response. In Paul, there's a call for salvation. I'm going to get to that in a moment. And there's a call for reconciliation. Are you hearing me here? What am I trying to say? Some of you have been abused by some folk. You've been mistreated. You've been done wrong. And it's all real. But God still wants to use you in that relationship to be a voice of salvation. Ha! Ah, to be a voice of reason. Even after they mistreated you, you be light and be a voice that they can turn to. Can I, can I waddle some more in it? The text says, and then he fell down before them. Can I tell you, God has a way of making your enemies bow down. Anybody in here? You, you ain't got to make them bow down. God got a way of what? Making them bow down. Look, the Bible, the Bible says the, the battle ain't yours. It's the Lord. What's your flexing going to do? Well, put that pistol up. Come on, Baptist. I'm talking to y'all Baptists in here. Put them Glocks and 9 millimeters and 38s up. Come on, talk to me. Tell me, I'm going to fix this. The Lord giving me authority. No. The Lord will make your enemies bow down. Tell your neighbor, surrender your arms. Surrender your arms. I don't know why I said that. It just felt good. Amen. But the text says, watch this now, that he released them from the cell. Verse 30, I'm in the Bible. I'm in the Bible. The same one who locked them in there is now the one who releases them. Y'all see that there? It's a picture of what I call humility and brokenness. What do you mean, Pastor? This enemy has come to those that he once oppressed. And he wants them now to help him. The enemy has something that he needs. And the only ones can give it to him are the ones he abused. Isn't that just like God? To give you the answer to the problem that's plaguing humanity. And the same world, Kenya, that abuses you and mistreats you is the same world that will come crying for the answer to eternal life. Look at his question. It's the only time it's mentioned in all of the New Testament. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Good God Almighty. His cry, Brother Anthony, is a cry for salvation. Why? Because he understood from the magnitude, watch this, of the earthquake that he could have been killed. He should have been dead. He understood that from the inmates not leaving their cells, he, 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 he could have been assassinated. He understood that he was wrong for what he did to Paul and Silas. So his cry is, how can I be saved from my awful condition? 
God, I hear you speaking to me through the circumstances of my behavior. How can you save me from being this wretched warden that I am? Can I pack the, unpack the car right there? He ain't had no classes on theology. He's a Gentile. He ain't familiar with Christology. He ain't even got his hermeneutics right. All he knows is that my life is jacked up. And I need to be saved from the person that I've become. Isn't that good right there? What must I do to be saved? So his cry to the brothers is a powerful one. When I think about this text, it makes me remember that this is the cry of the lost people in the world. And we have better be able to give them the right answer. Y'all in here? The answer ain't, come let me talk to my pastor. Come on, let me let you talk to my Sunday school teacher. Come on, come go to church with me. That ain't the answer. The answer Paul and Silas give to him. They said, they said, they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I think I ain't made that clear. Let me run that some more. The answer is, well, first of all, you got to change your dress. First of all, you got to come out of your homosexual relationship. First of all, you got to put the pipe down. The answer is you got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how you get saved. Parenthetically. And when you get saved, all that other stuff will fall off. No, y'all ain't hearing me in here. Because somebody's still confused this morning. Your idea about salvation is becoming a member of this church. Where you get that at? Your idea of salvation is you got to stop doing this first or stop doing that first. That ain't in the Bible. The answer to that man's sin was believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first thing you got to do. High five somebody tell them I got it, I got it, I got it. Notice this guys, he can't do nothing else to obtain salvation. Y'all see that in there? I'm going to bother some of you religious professionals right here. I'm finna mess with you. He ain't got to take a spiritual gift inventory. He ain't arguing about speaking in tongues or baptizing Jesus' name only. Y'all with me in here? This man can't work for his salvation. He can't earn it. He can't purchase it. He can't be good enough. He can't be smart enough. He can't be rich enough. All he can do is believe. On the Lord Jesus Christ. And that will guarantee his salvation. I just felt real Baptist right there. I like that. It just felt good to me. Amen. Then can I, can I open the text some more? Then we see what I call is a promise given to him. As a result of this new faith in Christ. They said to him. Once you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this now. Here's a divine promise. You and, somebody say and, And. your household are going to be saved. I like those conjunctions. Aren't they just feel good? Now, what is Paul getting at here? This promise is a blessing that is spoken to the jailer 
who was clearly concerned about his life and his future. What must I do to be saved, right? If he will trust God, then as the head of his family, yes, as the daddy of the home, his decision that he makes in that jail is going to impact his house. Can I say some more? Uh, leadership has privileges. What do you mean, Pastor? What? Leadership makes the difference in the home. Hey, where are the brothers at? Where are the brothers at? Look, 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 look. Salvation for his family is a direct byproduct of daddy's leadership. If daddy decide to walk with God, the whole clan going to follow. Why? Because God has placed that in the family. He's placed that in the man. When he established Adam, he established headship. So that Adam becomes the leader of the home. And whatever Adam decides for the family, the family follows. If daddy decides that church ain't important, the family follows suit. And mama had to do her best. To try to get them kids together and fight with them and get them in the car. Come on, talk to me. Because daddy said it ain't a priority. But when daddy makes church a priority. Look, at, come on, talk to me. Salvation becomes the priority of the whole family. So is there any wonder why the destruction of our community starts with the absence of the fathers in the home? Sociologists didn't come up with that. Satan came up with that. Y'all follow me? You and your household will be saved. Can I just unpack? Can I waddle right there some more? Look, fathers, look, fathers, I want to talk to you for a minute. If you decide that you're going to support your church, you're going to be active in your church, your family will follow. If you decide, I'm going to be a God-fearing man, and I want these kids in Sunday school, guess where they're going to be? She may buck, she may fight, she may argue, but I guarantee you she'll be in that car. Because there's something inside of her that wants a man to be a spiritual leader. I'm just telling you what I know. They may fight against your leadership, but at the end of the day, when they lay down on that pillow, God will deal with them. You ain't got to fight with them or put your hands on them or just argue. Just tell them God said it, and this is what we're going to do. And watch and see the direction of your family. Am I making sense there? I just want to empower my brothers today. The church will only be as strong as the male leaders in the church. And, and, and let me help the brothers. And if you're feeling a little weak in your leadership, I got your back. Amen. I, I'll quote for you. Amen. I'll talk on your behalf. Are you listening here? Because I know that this is God's order for the family. Are you listening here? Yes, we are co-equal. The man is not better than the woman. He just got more responsibility. And as a result of his responsibility, he got to stand before God and give an account 
for what he did in this house. He ain't going to be able to say on that day, well, you know, that woman. Adam tried to use that, didn't he? Still got his consequences. He couldn't even use it, even if it was true. He still got the consequences of his behavior. Talk to me, brothers. Where the brothers at? Where the brothers at? This verse is powerful. You and your household will be saved. I like this right here. Now, then he spoke in verse 32, and I'm hurrying along. I'm hurrying along. In verse 32, the text says, Then they spoke the word of the Lord. Y'all in here? To him and, somebody say and, to all who were in his house. Hold it. I thought they was just in the jail. Yeah, something happened between verse 31 and verse 32. Luke pauses the pen and follows the proclamation. What happened, Pastor? After he declared and believed on the Lord Jesus, he let the brothers out. He took them straight to the house. Why? Because they told him, once you believe, all your house going to be saved too. He's like, well, come on. And when he came to the house, he said, baby, we got company. Bring them kids down here. I need you to cook me something in the refrigerator. Bring something. We got guests. And they got something they need to tell us. See, I just got saved in jail. And what I got, I want y'all to have. Y'all ain't here with me. I'm just in the Bible. The Bible says, and he spoke the word of the Lord to him. And all who were in his house. Y'all in here? Isn't that something, y'all? Now, Paul and Silas were in the jailer's house. And literally what happens is they have Bible study. They were invited in the home to share the good news with his family. And it was an outworking of the promise of household salvation. Since daddy believed the gospel and was saved, he wanted his whole family to hear the same word. I like this. This daddy used to arrest prisoners, but now he sets them free. He used to talk about prisoners, but now he running with prisoners. He used to mistreat prisoners, but now he's ministering to prisoners. His family sees the change and now they hear the message. And household salvation is working in the jailer's house. Question, is household salvation working in your house? Why aren't your children saved? Is there a disconnect with what you say and what you do? Because that could be the problem. Your message could be tight, but your living ain't. 
And that prevents your children from following your God. But oh, when the message lines up with the lifestyle. Y'all in here now? Household salvation is inevitable. His family sees the change. And now they hear the message. And household salvation is something that everybody wants. Well, I talked to you about the soldier's surprise. I've argued my point about the soldier's salvation. Let me push my claim and take my seat talking about the soldier's service. Will y'all help me close it out today? Verse 33 says this. And he took them. You should circle those two words. Took them. The same hour of the night. Y'all in here? And he washed their stripes. And immediately he and all, somebody say all, his family were baptized. <laughs> Isn't that something? I'll get to 34 in a second, but let me deal with this. When we arrive at this last verse in 33, we see ministry. Being born, Sister Jackson, in the jailer's house. Notice he ain't had a membership class. Ain't nobody told him this is what you need to do now. It's an instinct for him to minister to those who have been oppressed. And first we see here, he was reconciled through repentance to God. And then he's reconciled to the brothers. What do you mean? He was the one that beat them. He was the one that threw them in the stocks and in the hole. But after giving his life to Christ, he gets reconciled this way. And now he's reconciling this way. Y'all catch that right there? Real salvation is demonstrated through reconciliation. It's impossible to say you've been reconciled to God, but you hate your brother. If you hate your brother, I doubt if you've been reconciled to God. Because once you recognize what you've done to God, it's impossible for you to hold a grudge to somebody else who's hurt you. Okay, I lost somebody. Let me run through it again. Repentance first, and then reconciliation to God and to others. I need to spend some time right there. Who you holding a grudge against when God forgave you of all your junk? Let me ask it another way. Who you think you are? Good enough to be forgiven, but not willing to forgive. Your salvation is only real when you are ready to forgive those who've wronged you. Paul and them not only have to demonstrate, yes, that they understand salvation, they have to give forgiveness to the one who's mistreated them. Y'all in here? And then, watch this, when that happens, now ministry can flow. Come on, y'all, I need you to lean in here. Ministry, real ministry don't happen without reconciliation. It's pseudo, it's fake, it's phony. You might as well sit your tail down. 
You don't forgive nobody. You can hold grudges, but yet you want to minister to somebody. Here's why I want to say you disqualified. Don't serve me nothing. You can't forgive somebody who wronged you. Keep your ministry to yourself. Am I talking to you in here? Lord Jesus, this is the complete picture of salvation. Once you've been reconciled to God, you've called on his name, he saved you. You're instantly to be reconciled to the one who cuts you, who hurts you, who abused you, who rejected you, who pushed you to the curb. You can throw in some other adverbs in there. Whatever they've done to you, you've got to forgive them. And don't you tell me, Pastor, you don't know what I've been through. Oh, like you the only sinner that been hurt. You the only person been mistreated on earth. Why you think Jesus went through all that he went through? So he could identify with you and you could then imitate him. Can I say some more? True ministry don't flow. Until you've been reconciled to your enemies. The Bible says, out of result of his reconciliation to Paul and Silas, he washed their stripes. Did y'all catch that? He was the one who gave them the stripes, Tommy. And now he washes them. And I could just see him now with tears in his eyes. Crying that he hit them so hard. Crying that he whipped him so many times. Crying when he looked at what his sin did to him. Crying about how he misabused these wonderful people that just gave him everlasting life. That's true ministry. When you do it from a heart of gratitude and compassion and reconciliation, that's real ministry. Can I park the car right there? See, technically, I think I'm going to use this in the church. You, you shouldn't be doing ministry until you can do it out of a reconciliatory heart. Every song that's sang needs to be sang from the position of reconciliation. Every class that's taught. Every man on the deacon board. Every brother in the preaching ministry, every woman in women's ministry, nobody should be able to serve unless they're doing it from the heart of reconciliation. If you've got attitudes and you've got issues of unforgiveness, as of today, you've been fired. A five-star church must have the heart of reconciliation. You can no longer keep drama going in the ministry. Why? Because you've been reconciled to God and reconciled to men. I'm accepting your resignation today. The real juxtaposition of this text teaches me that if you got a chance to forgive, man, you ought to forgive. And if you have a chance to minister... For the wrongs you've caused, you need to run to minister to the one you hurt. Parenthetically, let me ask the question, who have you hurt this week? Who have you cut with your words? Who have you talked about? 
Who have you mistreated? You, who have you been nasty with in this church? Who have you been nasty with in your family? Wives, how many times are you disrespecting your husband? Knock that off. Husbands, how many times have you been mean and bitter to your wives? Knock that off. Children, how many times have you been disrespectful to your parents? Knock that off. You become disqualified when you fail to be reconciled to man and to God. He washed their stripes. And then the text gives me some power. Look at it. It says, and then, somebody saying then, he and his family were baptized. Can I spend some time there? Notice, baptism don't come before reconciling to your enemies. Baptism don't even come before his confession of faith. He, he doesn't get baptized to be saved. He gets baptized because he's saved. And baptize is so important that it's the first act of the family's obedience. That they do it together as a covenant sign of a family that we are one in Christ, baptized into Jesus. Can I argue about baptism right here? Somebody still believing that baptism don't matter. Are you crazy? Baptism does matter. It don't save you, but it sure identify you. And they say we're willing to be baptized as a family. Not to be saved, but because we are saved. And not only that, we're reconciled to God and even to daddy's enemies. And that's why we got them in our home. Can I argue some more? And we getting ready to feed them. Can I show you what fellowship comes into the ministry? Notice this. There's repentance. There's reconciliation. Yes. And then there's fellowship. There's discipleship. There's the breaking of bread in their homes. I want to argue this right here because there's a real problem in the New Beginnings Church. We, we, we for seven years had did a great job of these things, but we've fallen off in fellowship. There was a time when, man, you couldn't leave a parking lot with 30, about 30 people saying, what you doing? What you doing? Where you going? Where we going to be? And now we've gotten so busy that we avoid the fellowship of the family. And that's where the strength comes in in numbers. When you forsake the assembling of yourselves together, that's when God needs you to be in community with your brothers. You know, as I noticed, it's hard for you to fight with somebody you in fellowship with. Hard for you to talk about them if they coming over every Sunday. Come on, talk to me. Hard for you to act like you don't see they got a need when you know they got a need. Fellowship is important in the body. And when the walls of fellowship break down, people run to silos that usually aren't healthy and they get clickish. This ain't in my notes, but let me preach against clickish or clickism. Clickism always destroys the body. I know it ain't a word, but I just declared it to be. I know somebody said, he got a PhD talking about clickism. That's right. You heard it first right here. Clickism. 
it destroys the church. Your little clique all of a sudden got an issue with this clique. And when your clique get nominated to do something, this clique don't get involved because that clique don't get down with this clique. And no matter what that clique got going, they start to name their own little stuff. And now we become the ministry of this and nobody else can get involved. That's demonic. Ain't even biblical. And that's why your ministry ain't going nowhere. And inside of that, inside of your cliques, then what you do is you no longer become reconciled to your brother. And you're trying to do ministry without reconciliation. Your clique has just been terminated. Well, I got to leave you now. I know y'all saying, well, he started off good, then he went to meddling. But the picture that we get from verse 34 is a picture of what the church ought to look like. It's what we see the ingredients, Reverend Tong, of a family of faith. They got baptism. They got testimonies. They got salvation. They got reconciliation. And y'all know what, they, what the best is, Brother Ed? They got fried chicken on Sunday. Good God Almighty. They got food and fellowship. That's the Baptist meal of the week. Come on, help me up. We call it the Baptist bird, amen. All kind of good fellowship happened around that breast and leg. Come on, talk to me. The wing, amen. And as a result of that, a new church was born in Philippi. Started with Lydia down by the beach. Her, Paul, and Silas. She was a businesswoman in Acts 16. She opened her heart to the things of God, and then she invited them in her home. And then they went out in the street and they saw that young girl who was demon-possessed. And they set her free and that got him in jail. Then at midnight, God shook an earthquake because he wanted a jailer and his family saved. And now you got a whole nother household in Philippi going to join together with Lydia's house in Philippi. And guess what? They're going to be called the Philippian church where you get the book of Philippians from. Well, I got to close here, but I want to close with giving you this story, and I'm through. Dr. Marshall Craig was one day preaching in a southern university, and he was pleading with the young college students to place their all on the altar for the Lord. And the story is told that they begin to come. One at a time, the student body president came first, then all of the football team the cheerleaders, the campus leaders, all start coming to the altar and giving themselves to Christ. And then Dr. Craig, the story says, saw a strange thing happen in the back of the auditorium. <coughs> there was a young man who was crawling down the aisle on both his hands and his knees. And the evangelist turned to the university president and ask him if this boy was all right. And the president on the podium said to the evangelist, he's a hopeless cripple, but he's one of our students at the university. And the only way he can get around is on his hands and his knees. And Dr. Craig waited patiently till the boy came down to the front to greet him. And the young man looked at the preacher and said to him, Sir, 
I heard you say that God had a place for a man. He said, I know he has a place for these athletes, and, and he's got a place for these cheerleaders and campus leaders. But preacher, does God have a place for a wreck like me? And the evangelist, Dr. Craig, through his tears said, yes, son, God has been waiting just for a wreck like you. And I close my argument today with saying, maybe you were wrecked today. Maybe you are just like the jailer of Philippi. But I stopped by to tell you on my way to glory, God has a place for you. All you have to do is believe today on the Lord Jesus Christ. You and your household will be saved. How do you know, Pastor? Well, 2,000 years ago, on a hill outside of Jerusalem, the Lamb of God died for all of the sins of the world. And Jesus took your place out on the old rugged cross, died for every one of your foolish sins. He died a painful death, was borrowed, uh, buried rather, in a borrowed tomb. And early Sunday morning, he was raised back to life by the Father. And he's alive today, calling for all of the wrecked lives of humanity to come unto himself. The Bible says that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Jesus might be saved. The Bible says, he that believes in the Christ is not condemned, but he that does not believe is condemned already. Because he does not believe in the only begotten Son of God. The Bible says that this is the record that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Hey, and he who has the Son has life. But he who has not the son has not life. The Bible says that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be the Bible says to repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out and the times of salvation shall come from the presence of the Lord. The Bible says to repent and believe the gospel and Christ will save you from your sins. I'm glad I got the Bible today. It's biblical instructions before leaving earth and the Bible keeps giving me instruction and don't mind me but can I say some more? The Bible says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Bible says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Bible says, if you do this, your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. The Bible says, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man will open the door I'll come in and sup with him and him with me the Bible says 
it's once appointed unto man to die and after death the judgment the bible says one day in the not near far future he's gonna crack the sky and he's coming back for his church the bible says the dead in christ gonna rise we'll go up and together we'll meet him in the air the bible says that that will be the beginning of the seven years of tribulation and after seven years the bible says the devil will be cast into a holding cell and then yes the beast and the antichrist will be thrown in the lake of fire and for one million years we'll come back to earth with jesus and the church will rule and reign for one thousand years and the bible says after the millennial period he'll unleash the beast and he will come from the bottomless pit and there'll be a war and we're going to saddle up with Jesus and the battle will take place in the Middle East and it'll be called the battle of Armageddon and I heard I heard the Bible said that the battle won't have to be fought with my strength but he'll defeat the devil and all of his enemies with the sword of his mouth and the Bible says at that time Satan and all of his demons will go into the lake of fire and all those who rejected Christ on earth will join the devil and his angels in the fiery furnace and at that time a new heaven and a new earth will come down like a bride adorned for his groom and we shall be in the brand new Jerusalem now that's my Bible and I'm sticking to it from Genesis to Revelation I believe the word do I got any Bible Christians anybody in here believe the word stand on your feet shake somebody's hand tell them neighbor oh neighbor this week preach your Bible tell them neighbor be a voice for salvation for somebody who's lost. Give the Lord some praise while there's time. Hallelujah. Salvation at the midnight. Suffering that somebody else may be blessed. Father God, we thank you today for the word proclaimed. Thank you for a better understanding of your text. Thank you for illuminating our hearts and our minds. Now, God, according to your word, work in our place now. Somebody needs salvation. Somebody needs to come and join the local church. And somebody needs to repent for their actions and refusing to be reconciled. Minister to us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.